Next week, we're starting the new sermon series, In God We Trust. Words that are on dollar bills and coins all over the place. But I have to ask you, do we really trust God or do we just trust our money? You're not going to want to miss this sermon series. My name is Kevin Bynack, and I have the joy of serving as your group's pastor here. I'm so thankful to be a part of the team and be thankful to, what, uh, to be a part of what God's doing here at Alice Drive. This morning, uh, we're going to dive into God's Word together as we continue our series called In God We Trust. Uh, and Pastor Clay decided he was going to take the week off. He felt like a good week to, talk, to, to go ahead and take the week off was a week that we were going to talk about how to spend your money. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you remember back throughout this series, we've kind of asked one big question that we're looking to answer, and it's this. Do we trust God for eternal life or with everything in life? In other words, is your relationship with Jesus just about going to heaven, or is he in charge of every area of your life? And so as we think about that this week, we, we've been going through and, and taking a look at every week, we've looked at Matthew 6, 21. You remember this, it's the verse that says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And why are we going through this series? Well, the truth of it is, even though it's sometimes really hard to talk about, money is an incredible heart-warning light for things like greed, for things like wrong priorities, and to show us an important way to evaluate our soul. If we really think about it, money impacts every part of us, not only our soul, but our relationships, our body, our mind, our heart, and ultimately all of our decisions. And so today we're going to pick up the first week, if you remember, Pastor Clay shared with us about what it means to save according to God's plan. Last week he shared about what it means to borrow according to God's plan. Today we're going to dive in on what it means to spend according to God's plan. I want to go ahead and give you our big idea right up front, just so you have that in mind. And it's this, how we spend shows what we value most. I think scripture points us to a lot of truths and a lot of wisdom about spending money, but I think there's at least three principles for us to build on as we take a look at scripture this morning. So you're gonna hear those three principles, and then as we get closer to the end of our time together, also I'm gonna challenge you with three next step type questions to help you evaluate how you're doing with walking with the Lord and the spending part of your life. Also wanna encourage you as we go ahead and jump in this morning to open up your Bibles and hold a few different places there. We're gonna take a look mostly in the book of Proverbs as we begin our time together. We're gonna to take a look specifically at chapters 11, 24, and 25. So if you wanna go ahead and open up and have those uh, in place so you can be ready to take a look at them here in just a few minutes. And I was thinking about what it means to spend and what that might look like according to God's plan. The first thing that I came up with is I, I think principle one for us is to commit to understanding. Why? Because we have to know uh, what our own habits are. We have to know what we're prone to. We have to know what our mindset is towards our money. Look, if you look at the spending habits across our country, the numbers are staggering. We heard a few last week as Pastor Clay mentioned debt, but let me give you a little bit more data to show you a little bit more of the level that our financial climate is like here in the United States. First off, 55 million homes have credit card debt. The average in those homes is $14,000 per household. The average college student graduates with $38,000 in student loan debt. And that's just for a bachelor's degree. The average new car payment in the United States is $577 a month. 
the peak point of debt for most people occurs at some point in their 30s. And as of today, the average American has about $23,000 in non-mortgage debt. What does that mean? Well, it means that we need to take a look at the challenge that's before us to understand what our relationship is with spending money. What tendencies do we have? Here's a really practical example. Did you know that if you spend just 27 extra dollars a day, that over the course of one year, that adds up to $10,000? Doesn't seem like much. $27 might be two large combos for you and your best friend at your favorite fast food joint. It's really not that much to get there. But let me ask you, how is your understanding of your own spending? So as I thought about this, I thought it might be helpful for us to know what types of spenders there are. I'm gonna mention six here. You can uh, go through these and figure out which one you think you might be. But the first one is the frugalist. Okay, this is the crazy coupon lady in front of you at the supermarket. In addition, it might be the people who one spouse works at the hospital and they know that in this certain storage closet, there's some extra rolls of paper towels. So every now and then they sneak that extra roll of paper towels so you don't have to pay for it. That might be frugal. I might call that stealing. Second, we have a category called the spendthrifts. This might be a new term to you, but these are the people who are prone to blowing large sums of money with little regard for the repercussions of their future. They are dazzled by the excitement of the purchase and it consumes them. Third, we have the treat yourself spenders. These are the people who might say something like, I work really hard, so therefore I deserve to spoil myself. Now, ladies, if you were in a college sorority, you knew this girl because this was the girl who suffered all day at the tanning booth and then said, to recover from this, I need to go to Starbucks and buy an $8 cup of coffee. Fourth, we have the self-esteem spenders. These are the people who spend whatever and whenever they can. They have an obsessive drive to, to spend money rather than just acquire items. And the truth of it is their, their motivation for spending comes to feel better about themselves. Fifth, the fifth category is the fear of missing out, the FOMO category. These are people who allow others to have significant control over their mindset and over their habits. I think about back when I lived in Florida, this happened all the time in the spring because somebody in the neighborhood inevitably would decide that they wanted to have a pool behind their house when summer started. And so they would immediately start to build this, this pool and the construction company working on the pool would put their little sign up in the front yard that says, if you're gonna build a pool, you should do it with our company. About the next week, we'd come back into the neighborhood and there'd be four or five of those little signs laid around in the neighborhood, right? You knew that everybody in the neighborhood wanted a pool. They were getting ready for summer. These people just like to simply fit into the group. They like to do whatever's necessary to be included. And last, we have the smart spenders, number six. These are people who are able to distinguish between their needs and their wants with ease, and they tend to only buy what they require. Now, if I'm honest, I look at that list and I, I think of those six different types of spenders. I've probably been all of them at some point or another in my life. Maybe you have two. Maybe when I read through that list, you could identify yourself really easily. Maybe for some of you, you look at that list and you know where you are, but you also see something that you would like to be, but you're not quite there yet. So as we think about this whole idea of spending and who we are and how that impacts our lives, what does scripture have to say about it? Well, let's first start off in Proverbs eleven twenty-eight. I feel like this is a great foundation for us. 
Proverbs eleven twenty eight says this, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. This message is really simple. It tells us if we build our lives on money, on any aspect of money, that the prospect for us is falling. When we say that we build our lives on money, that includes spending extravagantly on things that we want but don't necessarily need, and that's gonna lead us to our demise. A couple other things from Proverbs. You need to know, first off, that God's not after your money, but he is after your heart. And this builds on an understanding that we get from a few chapters back in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, to trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He wants your view of the world to look like his. He wants you to be in tune with him. So how else do we know this is true? Well, we take a look a few chapters uh, forward in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3. And this is a verse that simply says, With wisdom a house is built, and it is established firmly. When I read this verse, I think about wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to see what the real issue is and to know how to handle that. It's to know what matters the most. When we read that word house, we shouldn't just think about the physical structure that we live in. But for me, what I think about is the foundation of my life, the foundation of life for my wife and my kids. What kind of foundation do I want to build? Well, I want to build a house that's not just made with spontaneous decisions, but I want to build a house that's made with thoughtful planning. Furthermore, on that word built, finances and the decisions made about them are often made one by one. It's just like the bricklayer who, who built your house. They laid one brick correctly at a time and they kept building and building and building and eventually they built an indestructible wall. You see, your choices today impact your ability to have a positive relationship with money in the future. When your house is built wisely, the end of this verse says it's established firmly. And your finances need to be built, built to withstand the inevitable curveballs and breakdowns and repairs and bumps in the road. These are things that we've all experienced and some of you here today may have experienced one of those things this week. So how are we doing with this? Well, the average person in America has about $1,100 in available savings. When I say available savings, that's money that they could get to today, have their hands on in the event of an emergency in their lives. The truth of it is, I don't know if $1,100 is enough for me to take our middle school minister out to lunch, okay? That boy can eat. <laughs> well, let me tell you, with the type of mindset that minimizes planning for the future, that, that, that pushes away practical spending habits according to Scripture, how can you firmly be prepared for anything that life is going to throw your way? We also need to know that everyone makes a choice about how they're going to spend we all have to live on a percentage of our income. And for some of us, that's 75%. For some of us, that's living paycheck to paycheck. We, we live and we spend 100%. And for some of us, we borrow, so it's really more like 125%. It's way more than what we can really afford. You need to know what you're bringing in and what you're spending. And if that's you, we're gonna talk about that in just a couple of minutes also. I think we also have to know what money can and can't do. You see, money can be an incredible asset for our good, for the good of those around us, for our family, and by extension, it means that we can be a part of God's plan in many ways. But as 1 Timothy 6.10 says, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, we can see that it can be the exact opposite in our lives as well. Money can often lead us to a place of brokenness, 
And a lot of times that brokenness comes from when we try to put money and spending in the place that's only reserved for something that Jesus can do. So a second way I wanna encourage you to view spending from God's perspective, principle number two is simply this, develop discipline. Discipline is so far distant from the culture and the world that we live in today. Not only is it really helpful to understand what type of spender you are, but you have to understand that God is calling you to develop a lifestyle that reflects the stewardship that is placed on your life as a believer. Proverbs 25, 28, I think is a great example of this and how it can lead us down the wrong path if we're no longer living a life of discipline. It says this, a city that is broken with no walls is like a man who is not restrained in his spirit. Now, how does this relate? Well, a city with no walls in the time of Proverbs would have been a city that was susceptible to a raiding army. They would have been without defense. They would have been at the mercy of someone or something else. And that meant that control of their city was up for grabs. I don't know about you, but that's not how I wanna build my house. By the same token, a person without restraint is often a person who has no self-control. They're typically gonna resist any type of discomfort. They're typically gonna spend to relieve any kind of inner hurt or shame that they don't wanna deal with, and they want no accountability. Now, that's not to say that shame and hurt isn't genuine and sincere, and if that's you, I wanna encourage you, there is healing for that hurt. But I have to think about an example that I witnessed in my own life. One of, well, a guy that I went to seminary with. This guy was a philosophy major. He was one of the most talented theologians and thinkers and teachers of God's word that I've been around in my life. He also had an incredible way of being able to communicate. He was a great writer. He had an awesome blog. He wrote articles for very well-known uh, magazines and online publications. He was a very valuable instrument in God's hands when he was following God's plan. But his lifestyle looked different. He would go out for almost every meal. At the very beginning of our time in seminary, he bought a car that he couldn't afford and had a big monthly payment on it. He always upgraded his accessories as soon as the next latest and greatest model would come out. So he had the newest phone, the newest watch, the newest stereo in his car, you name it, he had it. And he got to the point where the credit card companies would no longer let him borrow any more money. And so what that meant was he couldn't take a next step to follow Jesus because he wasn't willing to trust God's plan for his finances. After just one year in seminary, he had to quit. I think about his story. His story to me is one of a missed opportunity. To this day, I'm not sure that he ever was able to finish his degree and I'm certain that he's missed out on many things that God had for him that he simply wasn't willing to trust and put his spending life under the authority of the word. And so listen, practically, if you plan to go out to lunch after we finish our time together here today, I want you to go, I want you to get what you like, and I want you to enjoy it. But we can't let our spending become the reason that we're excluded from God's plan. That means that we need to have a budget just like a, a home builder is gonna build a house with a blueprint, nobody would do that without it. We can't just take our finances so lightly that we let things come and go without knowing what's happening. We also can know that God doesn't want us to live in misery. God doesn't want us to, to, to just focus on uh, you know, not, not enjoying what he's given us or how he's created us to be. We also know though that scripture tells us the financial blessing that we receive is not only for our good. 
when we think about this in terms of where we are in our, our day, day-to-day lives, it's actually easier now to budget than it's ever been. We can actually do this from our phones. Uh, I do this through an app called Every Dollar, which is available to every person that's a part of Alice Drive through our Ramsey Plus subscription. It's available to you free today if you've never used that. Uh, you can find that resource on our website using the Give tab on our webpage. I would encourage you to do that. What, what that app actually allows you to do is track every, uh, every receipt that you have and make note of every wage that you earn. At the end of the month, you can reconcile your finances that way and everything's kept, tra- kept in track very well. If you like a paper copy of something like that, there's a resource there that you can print out each month and write down your expenses there as well. Budgeting takes discipline. And if you've never st- taken that step before, today may be the day that you need to do that. The truth of it is we have a Financial Peace University group that meets here every Wednesday night. And many of the people who are in that group now and have experienced that group before are for for the first time in their lives experiencing the financial freedom that comes along with making a budget. The average person spends 10 to 15% less per month when they're willing to write a budget and adhere to it. So I have to ask myself and you by extension, how would that type of discipline impact your life and the lives of people around you? You need to know that discipline is going to involve accountability and whether you're single or whether you're just getting started on your financial journey, you need some people in your life who have walked well with the Lord, who can point you to what's true and helpful about money. It's one of the best reasons for you to get involved in a life group because there are people in there who will help you stay out of the weeds, not just with your finances, but with all the aspects of life. They're going to love you and they're going to care for you and point you to what's true. It means if you're here and you're married that that you need to have a regular conversation with your spouse about what you're going to do with your finances. And you need to make sure in that conversation that each person feels heard and understood and that you leave with clarity. Spending money is oftentimes the number one thing that couples argue about. But you need to know that having an open and honest discussion about money can lead you to incredible freedom, not just financially, but within the discussion line of your marriage. See, Danae and I, we've decided that we're not gonna borrow money on anything other than our home. We did that one time. It took us a long time to pay it back. It was a burden. But we've done that because we know that that's what God's called us to do. We know that he's called us to be engaged in the plan that he has not only for us, but for Alice Drive, for for the church around the world. We wanna be able to do that freely. And it means that we're gonna have to deny ourselves today some of the things that we might want. It might mean that we're gonna say no to our kids instead of giving them everything that they ask for. But the truth of it is, is knowing that we have to sacrifice, it's gonna ultimately help us to give more and it's gonna help us to be extravagant and celebrating the things that are most important to God. And that's the best part of following along with accountability and discipline. Discipline sometimes means that you're gonna have to ask for help. We can't talk about this subject without being honest with ourselves and saying, when's the last time you prayed about how you were gonna spend your money? We probably don't do it often, but it's something that should be at the top of our list when we think about what it means to relate to God in this way. We need to be willing to be vulnerable with God about our own financial identity and be honest about how God may wanna shape that identity as well. So a third way I wanna encourage you to view spending this morning, principle number three, is that you have to choose your master. Clay shared last week, Proverbs 22, seven, I'm sure you remember if you were here, says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a servant of the lender. 
And here's the perspective he shared with us. There's a, a relationship between the rich and the poor and the borrower and the lender and joining in new debt. What it practically means is that you are joining in with a new master. And you're gonna spend a lot to please that master. Make no mistake about it. If you don't pay your way on time, every time, the master is gonna be really quick to jump all over you and to make your life miserable. But because we know Jesus, we know that there is a different type of master available to us. We read this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you trust in the provision of God and you choose him as your master, you get something incredible in return. And that's rest. Have you ever thought about the decision-making process of how to spend your money or not spend your money according to God's plan can lead you to a place of rest? See, the wrong master will do nothing but take from you and will do so with harsh repercussions if you don't meet the standards or you don't make the payments on time. But when you choose the right master, you don't have to live and die based on your performance. You can rest knowing he is who he says he is. He's already done what he said he was gonna do. And that reminds us that Jesus wants something for us, not something from us. He doesn't want us to live in lives that are stressed and, and anxious about where money's coming or where, he's, where money's gonna go. He tells us this even more as we read into the New Testament. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 tell us this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, when you choose the right master, your heart and your mind, they're in a different place. They're focused on something new. And that something new is life-giving because it's Jesus. To me, it all ties back to what we've already talked about in Matthew 6, 21, where, you're, where when your heart and your treasure are in the right place, you're, you, you treasure the Lord above all else and your spending is gonna follow the reflection of your heart. When you live by Colossians 3, 1 and 2, you see that money is not satisfaction nor security for you because Christ is already both of those things for you. It makes me think back to one of the best examples of, I've, I've ever seen of where, where heart and treasure were in the right place. I had the privilege of knowing this man named George many years ago and you should know that George had one of the nicest houses I've ever seen in my life. This thing was like six to 7,000 square feet. It was on two acres of pristine land with a beautiful bright blue lake behind you. It had an incredible pool. He had an awesome three-car garage that was filled with some really nice vehicles. Uh, and in that house, he had a beautiful living room, a beautiful kitchen, all the bells and whistles in his bathrooms, bedrooms. The place was immaculate. It was a type of place that I know many of us, we would like to live forever. But back in 2011, George sold that house for $1.2 million. And with that money, he took his wife and they moved into a small apartment complex that was located in an underserved area where there was very little gospel influence. And together they began leading a small group. And over the last 10 to 12 years, the last time I heard an update on this story, about 50 people in that apartment complex have said yes to Jesus and followed through in baptism. 
That's an incredible story. He, he's been able to connect these people to a church and he's been help, able to help them grow as disciples. And the truth of it is, I have to ask myself, how did that happen? Well, that happened because George made a tough decision to choose the right master. Every day for him, because of his choice, is now a front row seat to incredible life change. That option's open to all of us today as well. So what do we do with these verses and these views on spending? Well, I told you I would give you three questions to help you figure out your next step when it comes to spending this morning. So I wanna share those with you. And the first question is simply this, what does your spending say about you? This can be a hard question to ask. Another good way to ask this would be if someone were to see your bank statements, what would they say you value the most? We're reminded here that when we're a slave to spending, we can't experience the freedom of giving and saving and engaging in God's plan. The second question we have to ask ourselves is what needs to change for you to be faithful in your spending? This means like George, you're gonna have to make some tough calls. You're gonna have to be honest. It means that you may get less of something that you want so that somebody else can have something that they absolutely need. Scripture reminds us time and time again that walking well with Jesus is always gonna bring us to moments where we have to spend our best to be aligned with him. Third question to ask is this, how can your spending impact eternity? This is a big part of what we're gonna talk about, how we're gonna finish out the series next week, but practically, let me encourage you that if you're gonna spend extra, let it be for something that can introduce someone to Jesus. Two examples of this that I think are really important. You know the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. We look at this story and we know there's incredible things about the father, things that we see a, a, a better picture of God through with the way that he treats his son. You remember the son, he, he squandered all his father's inheritance. He was left with nothing. He was to the point of rock bottom where he's eating the same food that they were feeding to the pigs. And yet when he returns home, his father welcomes him with an extravagant celebration. And at that celebration, he holds nothing back. They, they have the best food. They have the best party. They have the best of everything that you could possibly imagine. Why? Because that was the most important thing, that his lost son became found. We think also back to a story that Clay mentioned a couple weeks ago about Rosaria Butterfield. And you may remember her as the, the tenured Syracuse professor who stepped out of a non-Christian lifestyle to, to become a follower of Jesus. And to this day, she's an incredible warrior for the gospel. But her story begins with a pastor and his wife who just simply opened up their home. They were willing to show radical generosity and hospitality. They prepared nice meals so that they could have a, a conversation that would ultimately point Rosaria to Jesus. And that certainly cost them time and it certainly cost them money. But I'm also certain that they wouldn't change anything because Rosaria was redeemed to God through their radical generosity. They were willing to spend their time and money with eternity in mind. We have to know that because God allows us to be engaged in his work, how we spend is an invaluable asset in kingdom advancement. You have a role to play in God's plan and spending is a part of that role. As we finish up here, I think one thing for all of us to be mindful of, one of the main reasons that we're going through this series is that Jesus doesn't want you to be addicted to anything. 
He doesn't want you to hold on to something other than him. And we know this because he died for us to experience incredible new freedom from sin and its eternal impacts. The gospel story is very simply that because of our own sin, we were separate from God and we couldn't get back together with him on our own. We couldn't rise to enough righteousness without Jesus to get where we needed to go. And yet Jesus spent his own life to show us the kingdom of God and make a way for us to be a part of it. We need to know that his model of spending was always for our good and for God's glory. And I know, truthfully, this is a little bit of an interesting topic, right? This is a little bit weird because we spent most of our time this morning talking about what it means to spend and how to do that. But let me remind you that what Jesus can do to free up your finances, he can also do in your heart. I think there's probably a couple of different types of people that are hearing this message. And if you're here, you're watching online or at one of our campuses and you don't know Jesus, then God's spending through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus means that you can have a new master. It means that if you came in this morning with no hope and you're worn out from spending your time chasing the treasures of earth, There's a much better master and his name is Jesus and he's not asking you what you can spend to please him, but he's telling you what he's paid so that you can know him. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have one last question to ask yourself this morning. Does your spending show that you value him the most? Would you pray with me? Father God, it is an incredible honor and joy to know you, to serve you, to love you, and most importantly, to be loved by you. And God, this morning, even as we've talked about money, we are reminded, Jesus, that you came to show us the kingdom of God, God, and you made us a way to be a part of it. And so, Lord, that means that you call us away from holding on to things that are cheap substitutes for the real grace and love that you offer us. God, for those of us that are made new through the blood of Jesus, Lord, it changes the way we look at every aspect of our lives. It changes our relationships. It it changes how we look at money, what we expect from money, and how we spend our money, too. So, God, I pray that as believers, we would be found faithful in spending in the way that you've called us to. God, if we need to take steps starting today, Lord, that help us to be more faithful, I pray that you would help us to take those steps. I pray that you'd help us to have hard conversations where we need to. God, if we have shame that's associated with our spending, I pray that you would help us to bring that to you, knowing that you heal and knowing that you restore and you want what's good for us. God, I pray most importantly today, if there's somebody here or listening that does not know you, God, that they would see that you spared no expense, that you spent your best through the death and the resurrection of Jesus so that we could have a relationship with you that changes every day here on earth changes every moment of our eternity as well. God, again, we praise you for giving us the opportunity to know you and serve you. God, I pray that we would be found faithful in all the things that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, Alice Drive. Thank you guys for watching this service, but don't stop here. Follow us on social media, on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, if you've missed any of our sermons, you can check them all out on our website or YouTube page. It is because of you that we are able to help people take their next steps towards Jesus. And thank you all for being a giving church.
God bless y'all, and we'll see you next week.